Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. I'm the producer, Rachel Smith, and I want to welcome you to this podcast, but not only to this podcast. If you're in Hong Kong, you're also welcome to come to our free weekly workshops, details of which may be found on meetup.com or on our website, hongkongstories.com. Don't worry if you don't have a perfect story. Just come and tell us a true story about you, and we'll help you to make it the best story you can tell. You are also welcome to come to one of our shows. We have live shows held at the Fringe Club at the end of almost every month. Details can once again be found on the website, hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. This true first-person story was told in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club in Hong Kong. It was told in October for a show hosted by Tracy with the theme of After Dark. Here is Tracy's introduction of Frida's compelling story. Frida, our next storyteller, was um, working on this story for another show, but her timing didn't work out. So I got very, very lucky that she was able to tell it tonight. Her story is about travelers and strange lands and rules and rebirth after dark. Please welcome Frida. Arriving in Kabul, I'm not quite sure what to expect. Is this going to be a land of blue burqas and wild beards and bombs that we see on TV? Or is it going to be a land of brave warriors and beautiful women and high art and culture that we read about in history and literature? Our briefing at the Pakistan Embassy seems to suggest the former. Don't take photos, they warn us. Don't go out after dark. Don't talk to anyone. And to emphasize their point, they tell us harrowing tales of people who've been picked up by the notorious security service, the NDS, whisked away only to return with deep physical scars or psychological scars, or worse still, never to return at all. And hearing their stories, I'm almost glad that we, that's me, my husband, and Dr. Manzoor, who's Pakistan's ambassador to the World Trade Organization, are only there for a short while to attend a trade fair, and then we'll go back home safe to Pakistan. So the next day, we go to the trade fair, spend about an hour walking around, and then we're free with the whole day ahead of us empty. We have a car and a local driver, and though we doubt it, we ask him that is there anything to see here in Kabul? Yes, he says, of course. Don't you know, Kabul used to be the greatest city in the world. We've had very bad times, but things are getting better again. As we say in Afghanistan, after every darkness, there is light. And to illustrate his point, he takes us to Bagh Babur, the royal gardens, where the first Mughal emperor of the subcontinent is buried. During his time, Babur ruled over a vast empire and great riches, but it was always Kabul he yearned to go back to. His tombstone today carries the words that he used to describe Kabul. If there is a paradise on earth, it is this, it is this. And when he built these gardens more than 500 years ago, he built them according to his vision of paradise, with green terraces and waterways and orchards of pomegranates and apricots and almonds and grapevines. And centuries later, his gardens of paradise were turned into a theater of war. During the 1990s, these gardens were bombed and plundered and left in ruins. 
And over the past several years, conservationists and craftspeople have been working to restore the gardens to their original beauty and open them to the public as a park. So now when we look out over the gardens, we see all sorts of people everywhere enjoying themselves. University students, girls and boys out sitting together having a picnic. Children running around, families sitting together warming themselves under the winter sun. I'm about to take a photo, but my driver stops me. They are watching, he says, when I say, it's okay, we're fine. He says, no, they are watching. Who, I wonder, the gods? The Americans, he explains. And I look up, and then I see it. It's a white blimp, the dirigible. It's an American military surveillance balloon, ever present in the skies of Kabul, scanning the land below with a camera said to be so strong that it can read the time of your wristwatch. Next, he takes us to the National Art Gallery. It's in the middle of the city, crowded with cars and people, dust and noise. But the art gallery itself is an oasis of peace set in an old mansion surrounded by beautiful gardens. The gallery staff rush to welcome us, drawing back dusty curtains to let in the light, looking for keys to unlock the rooms of the gallery. And as we walk through the gallery, they tell us how just a few years earlier, the Taliban had walked through some of these rooms, and they had slashed and destroyed more than 200 paintings because they showed human figures, something that went against their religious code. And how the gallery staff, many of them artists themselves, had tried to save what they could by painting over the figures, turning faces into flowers, turning bodies into trees. And now that things were getting better again, they'd begun the painstaking work of removing those protective layers of paint and letting the figures re-emerge again. Soon it's back time to go back to the hotel, and our driver drops us off. But we've had such a good day, and we've had so many interesting conversations, we're simply not ready to go back to our hotels and spend a long evening in front of the TV. My husband suggests we take a walk around the neighborhood. And so we do joining the throngs of people on the wide pavements, old trees branching overhead. Before long, we come across a small bookshop. It has a turquoise painted wooden front and large windows. And through the windows, we can see piles of books stacked on the shelves, on the floors, running up along the wooden staircase. There's an old man sitting behind a desk. There's maps and artwork up on the walls. And with the golden light spilling out into the darkening evening where we stand, it looks like a bookshop from a book. And as we read the name, we realize it is a bookshop from a book. It's the bookshop from the book, The Bookseller in Kabul. <laughs> the, writer had spent, the writer had spent several months living with this bookseller during the Taliban years. And then she had written about her time with him and his family in a book. In it, she praised him for being a local hero, for continuing his book-selling business and becoming a clandestine supplier of titles that the Taliban had banned. But she also showed him as a tyrannical head of household, quite ruthless with his wives and children. Excited by our discovery, we do what anyone would do. We take a photo. I stand in front of the bookshop. My husband takes out his mobile phone. Dr. Manzur takes out his mobile phone. They take a photo of me, put their phones back, and we move on. Or I should say we try to move on, because as I'm standing there waiting to cross the road, first of all, I hear a shout, which I ignore, and then I feel something against my shoulder. And I look back, and I see a man standing there behind me with a uniform, and the thing on my shoulder is the tip of a rifle. 
I'm not sure what to do, so I smile and I indicate to him that I'm about to cross this road, so I am going to walk away from him <laughs> and his rifle. <laughs> he shakes his head. I turn back to look for my husband and Dr. Manzoor, and they too are now accompanied by men with guns, and we're being led, <laughs> we're being led towards, this, towards this building with tall, thick walls like a fortress, and there are watchtowers along the top of the wall, and in the watchtowers there are men standing there, and their guns are also trained on us. And as we go through the gate, I read the name, and this is the headquarters of the National Defense Service, the notorious NDS that we'd been so diligently warned against. They take us inside in sort of, a uh, sort of a yard, and they make us line up against a wall. It's a white wall, but I'm quite concerned to see that it's streaked with red stains. <laughs> and we, st we stand there under a weak yellow light from a single light bulb suspended above our heads. The NDS men stand in front of us. They say something to us we don't understand, and we reply with something they don't understand. I suggest we communicate in single words. Dr. Manzoor goes first. Pakistan, he says. Then my husband. Bhai, bhai, he says, hoping that the word for brother in Pakistan is the same in Afghanistan. They turn to me. Sorry, I say, and I roll my eyes in the direction of my husband, trying to tell them that whatever has happened, and we have no idea what has happened, it's all my husband's fault. <laughs> and they should just take him away. <laughs> and let me and Dr. Manzoor go free. <laughs> None of this makes any difference, but they do seem to like the idea of communicating in single words. The senior NDS man steps forward, he puts his hand out, and he says, passport. So we hand over our passports. Then he says, phone. So my husband hands over his phone, Dr. Manzoor hands over his phone, even though it's a new super smartphone. I don't have a phone, so I just say sorry again and roll my eyes in the direction of my husband. <laughs> the man holds out Dr. Manzoor's phone and says, photo. So now we have an idea that this is something to do with the photo, probably, that they took of me outside the bookshop. Dr. Manzoor steps forward to unlock his phone, but the problem is that he has about 700 photos on his phone, and it's a new phone, so he's still not very familiar with how to use it, so he can't immediately locate that photo. So we all gather round around his phone under this weak yellow light bulb in a circle, and we go through each photo, <laughs> one by one. There are several photos of the inside of Dr. Manzoor's mouth. <laughs> And Dr. Manzoor mimes to show us how he had a toothache and how he'd taken photos to send to his dentist. Our captors look at him with concern and make sympathetic noises. <laughs> then there are a series of identical photos of a couple at a wedding. Our captors look at the photo, you know, seem to wish them well. And by the time we've gone through this detailed chronicle of Dr. Manzoor's daily life, the atmosphere has become quite convivial. <laughs> and then comes the photo. There's me standing outside the bookshop. It's dark, it's grainy, quite unremarkable. But the NDS officers, through their tone and through their gestures, make it quite clear that they want us to delete this photo. 
but try as we might, we simply cannot delete this photo. <laughs> the, the phone either goes back to camera mode or gallery or home screen or some funny filter. I try, my husband tries, Dr. Manzoor tries, each man in this circle from the NDS tries, but this photo refuses to be deleted. <laughs> Eventually, someone does manage to delete the photo, and the whoosh of the departing image mirrors the sigh of relief that we let out. With the photo gone, passports and phones are handed back, handshakes are exchanged, smiles all around, a car appears, and finally, two hours later, we're escorted back to our hotel. As our driver had said earlier in the day, after every darkness, indeed, there is light. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends and keep an eye out for our weekly podcast published every Wednesday. Everyone has a story to tell.